Well, good morning. It is uh, good to be back together into uh, some normal non-holiday Sunday. Uh, as we uh, start this new year together, uh, we had a great Christmas and New Year's together uh, as we were able to worship together and celebrate together as a family. Um, for, for most of you, you know, but for, we had a great Christmas gift, and so we've got a picture everybody has been asking for. Um, <laughs> So baby Hope was born on December 23rd and is very healthy and doing very well. And uh, mom is doing pretty good, uh, except for the late nights that you would expect. Uh, it was a little bit of a long one last night, uh, but that's newborn life for you. But, but all things considered, things are going very, very well, very healthy. And so thank you for your prayers and encouragement uh, through this season for us uh, and as we continue on in this journey. Um, several different doctor's appointments, and every doctor's appointment says, we don't want to see you for a while, which is very encouraging. So, um, so today we are starting in on a new series as we journey through together the Gospel of John. Uh, and this is an opportunity for us to, to really dig in and, and look at this unique gospel and how we uh, come to know God through the revelation of Jesus, uh, through who he is. And uh, many of our small groups are going to be going through this book called Daring Faith, which is going to parallel uh, the different topics that we're going to be addressing on Sunday morning. Uh, and there's going to be a DVD teaching uh, by Randy Harris as well. So if you're not in a small group, I want to encourage you to join one. There, there's a list of those groups out in the foyer. Uh, you can join one of those groups. There's a few that are exploring some different topics and then several that are going to be going through uh, the, the John series with us as kind of the sermon-based study for this semester. So we're going to be on this journey until Easter and uh, we will conclude with an Easter message about the resurrection of Jesus uh, in, in the Gospel of John. And so we are going to uh, spend each week looking at these different aspects of the gospel. Um, so today we're just going to get started with a bit of overview and a bit of introduction as we, as we look at what the gospel of John is and how is it unique, how is it different. If you will quickly skim through the gospel of John, it won't take you long to realize that this one is very different than the other gospels. There, there is a uniqueness to how John writes and how he presents the story of Jesus and the story of God. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all parallel one another. They're called the synoptic gospels because there's a lot of content from one to the other to the other, and all three overlap quite a bit. But the gospel of John has about 90% of its content that is totally unique from the other gospels. And so there are stories like Jesus turning the water to wine, and others that, that are totally unique to John. And so John is presenting here a story for us. He's not presenting us a chronological story like the other Gospels do. He, he's not giving us a historical account. He's not giving us a historical Jesus. There's no birth narrative. There's no genealogy that you would find in some of the others. And he really blurs the line between history and interpretation. He blurs the lines between story and theology, and it all intertwines together. And it's, it's written in a very intentional way, because what John is trying to do is he is trying to provide for his reader a revelation of who God is, 
That, that in the person of Jesus, we're able to see God clearer. He provides for us a snapshot, a picture of God. And so as we approach this text, we're not going to find a bunch of actions like we do in the Gospel of Mark that provide a, a storyline. Instead, it's a little bit more symbolic. That John uses language in a very symbolic way to form these stories. And it's full of riddles. It's full of, of confrontation. It's consoling at times as well. It, it intertwines this very unique story. It's a literary style that, that, that weaves together a narrative and a dialogue and a discourse, all to create these dramatic scenes. And so there is great drama in John. Great imagery, great symbolism. And as he weaves together these dramatic scenes... The gospel story comes to life and it invites us in to participate in the story. That as, as John is, is writing to his, to his audience, we are a part of that audience. And he pulls us in and, and encourages us to participate. So when Jesus asks a question, the question is just as much for us as it is for the one that he's asking. And so we're able to engage in it. We're invited to respond. We're invited to participate in the story. And so as we're invited into the story, we're invited not to discover a series of facts, not to discover a series of stories. We're invited into the very presence of God. And that's what we experience as we dive into the Gospel of John. At the very center of the story that, that John presents is the story of Jesus. But it's, it's more than the other Gospels. He focuses really on the incarnation of Jesus, which we know from our Christmas messages, the incarnation is God being with us, that he sends his son to, to take on flesh and be with us. In John chapter 1, in verse 14, it says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So we have Jesus here. And through the incarnation, Jesus reveals who God is. And it's because Jesus is God's word. So when, when Jesus is speaking, God is speaking. And it's, it becomes something that is tangible for us. It's not this, this abstract God, but now God becomes flesh. Something that we can interact with. And this becomes a thematic element all through the Gospel of John. John uses great imagery that is, is very tangible. He uses very earthy kinds of things when he tells his stories. Things like, Water and wine, bread and light, door, sheep, seed, vine, blood, fish. All of these become symbols that are used throughout the story, things that we can touch and see and feel and experience. And so oftentimes we read through the Gospels as 
a way of meeting Jesus and learning about Jesus. When I first got here, we, we went through the Gospel of Mark as a way to go through the actions of Jesus. Mark is, is very action-oriented. Jesus did this, and then Jesus did this, and then Jesus did this. But as we go through John, it's not so much about discovering the actions of Jesus. It's more concerned about the revelation of God, who God is as revealed in Jesus. And so we're ultimately concerned with that revelation as we go through these next weeks together. John has a passion for life, and it is shaped by the incarnation, and it is through that that he shares with his readers this message, and he desires uh, for them to have the same passion and the same belief that he has. And so he weaves together this narrative and theology that, that opens up this great mystery, this word becoming flesh. And that's what we encounter here. The Gospel of John was likely written between 85 and 95 AD, somewhere in that range. And it was a time of great conflict for the Jews. It was, it was a time where they were really trying to, to figure out their new identity. The temple in Jerusalem had been destroyed in 70 AD, and so they were left to, to have a new way of, of being a faith community. The Christian community was growing, and the, religious, uh, the Jewish religious life was being radically reoriented in a, in a different way. And this left the Pharisees and the priests and the Jewish Christians all struggling with identity and struggling with power. What would this new form of, of faith take in their community? And so those who were believing in Christ were really, um, really struggling with their new identity. And there were formal rules that were set in place that would actually excommunicate them from the synagogues that they had been a part of. And so now they're being thrown out of their faith communities because of their belief in Jesus. And so their families their friends, their social network, their political network is all being ripped out from underneath them as they find this new identity as followers of Jesus. And as, the, as John is writing here, it really is focusing in on a second generation of believers. These are people who did not experience Jesus firsthand. They did not see him in person. And so their faith is dependent on the stories that are being told about him. And that's who John is writing to. He's writing to this faith community, these Jewish Christians who are struggling with a new identity, struggling with what it means to be a community of faith, and having to sacrifice so very much for their belief in Jesus. This is the complex world that John writes into. And so can you relate to this world at all? Can you relate to a world where a faith in Christ is being marginalized? Where a belief in Jesus is not the norm? Where families are being divided because of beliefs? This is the world that John invites us to participate in. And it's a world that we can relate to so much as we think about what it means to believe in Jesus in this place, in this time, 
as we look at the believers in the community of faith at that time and the things that they struggled with and the things that John felt like he needed to address in that community. This is a group that needs encouragement to continue believing. That their, their, their faith is being called into question and, and their faith is being rocked and tested. And John is writing to strengthen their faith in these hard times. And he's asserting Christian truth in the midst of an environment that is not sympathetic to their beliefs. And so this is a message that we need today. When faced with adversity, what do you really believe? Is it really worth it? Is it, is it really worth losing relationships and losing family and losing status? And John remind, writes to remind us that faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ who is God's Son, is absolutely worth it. That it is worth the high cost that is being paid by these believers. And so to achieve this message of encouragement, John is, is extremely purposeful in his writing. He's very intentional with how he writes and the message that he's giving. And he's sharing this truth as, as one who has, has received the truth and wants others to join in with that truth. And so we see this revelation of who Jesus is and our response to that revelation. The light is coming into the darkness. God is being revealed into the darkness. God is being revealed through Jesus. And that becomes the message of John. But in addition, there's also this theme of redemption as well. In addition, there's this revelation, but there's this message of redemption that through the sacrifice of Jesus, something changes about who we are and our relationship with God. And so God is revealed to us through Jesus, but we're also saved through Jesus. And John is writing to help others believe this. We see the purpose of his writing in John chapter 20, where he, he explicitly states why it is that he's sharing these stories. He says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So he is writing this book he is addressing this audience, this audience who is struggling with their identity, uncertain of how they fit into the, the faith community, uncertain of even their, their political future, their social future. And he says, I am writing this so that you can believe and that you may have life. Believe and have life. John's hope is that, that this collection of writings will instill the reader or the listener with a belief in Jesus as the Son of God. That's what he wants for his readers. And there is a deep purpose to this. Not so that we can have some factual knowledge of who Jesus is, but so that we can have life that our, our lives will be transformed because of it. The life is found in the redemptive work of Jesus. 
And so John's purpose of writing is that we would believe in the revelation of, of Christ and that we would experience the life-giving redemption found through Christ. And so it's easy for us to think, okay, I, I believe in Jesus. I don't need to be convinced of, of him being the Son of God. I, I've already gotten to that place in my journey. And so what's in this for me? Why, why do I really need to go through with what, what John is saying here? I've read it. I know it. I believe it. If his purpose is to help me believe, I already believe. So we're moving on to the next thing. But we need to look at this word believe. Because there's more to this word than just meets the eye, because belief is not necessarily just this one-time moment where I make a confession of something and now I believe. There's two alternate ways of, of translating this word for belief. There's, there's one way of translating it that would, would be more something like um, that you may come to believe. So for you to believe is coming to a belief. In Jesus. Most of us would say we've already come to a belief in Jesus. But there's another way of translating this word in that it, it's more of this emphasis on an encouragement of those who already believe. It would be something like that you may continue believing. So he writes for us to continue to believe, which is much more of an encouragement perspective than it is an evangelistic perspective. The idea of belief being coming to believe in something focuses more on the evangelistic nature of John. But if we look at John as a whole, we would really tend to think of more of that second translation, that it's more about continuing to believe. That John is writing to an audience that, that already believes in Jesus. They have already confessed faith in him. They have already come to a belief in him. But they are being tested. They are being challenged. They are discouraged. And John reminds them that I am writing to you in this so that you may continue to believe. That even in the midst of adversity, even in the midst of hardship, even in, um, even in the midst of a culture that says this is not valued at all, he writes so that you can continue to believe. And so this is very much for us today, as it was for them then. Because how, much, how, how many of us need encouragement and need reminding of this is why you believe? Continue believing this. Is it worth it? Is it really real? Is this something that, that I want to sacrifice relationships for? Is this something I want to sacrifice jobs for? Is this something that I want to sacrifice my selfish desires for? Is it really worth it? And John says, yes, I write this so that you will continue to believe in Jesus. And so this gospel is very much for us, very much a message for us answering the question, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus when you haven't even seen Jesus? When you're that next generation believer who is dependent on the stories of others, is God revealed to us? 
Do we see God in a new way? And that's how we approach John over these next few weeks, that we come into this, this, this message to us, and God is revealed to us, and we experience the presence of God through the Word of God, through Jesus. And that is our goal for this time. And so like John's first readers, we experience a high cost of discipleship. And we ask ourselves the question, is it really worth it? And that question really comes when we start to experience our own crisis, when we start to experience our own difficulties, when we start to go through suffering. We get into these moments where now our beliefs are called into question. Do we really believe what we've said that we believe? And that's where some of us find ourselves today. We find ourselves in situations of suffering. We find ourselves in situations of doubt. And we wonder, is it really all worth it? Is this really real? Is this, this God who I confess to believe in really who he says he is. And John writes to you. He sends you a message and says, yes, I write so that you can believe and so that you can have life. Michael Novak is a philosopher and theologian, and, and he, he divides belief into three different categories. And we've talked a lot about belief over the last year, right? As we've looked at our core beliefs of what do we really believe in. And he divides them up and says, there, there's one that's a public belief. These are the beliefs that you post on Facebook. These are the ones that you want others to think you believe in. And so you post those memory verses, you post those scriptures, you post those political things and all those obnoxious little whatevers. And these are the things that you want to project yourself as. This is your public belief. Many of us have public beliefs that don't match what we really believe. We want others to think that we believe in such and such. And so we project those on to others. Politicians are the best at this, right? They will say they believe in something just to get the vote, but that's not what they really believe. They just wanted you to think that you believe that. But we do that ourselves in various levels. As we interact with friends and coworkers and on social media, we project a certain belief system that may not match what we really believe. But then there's the next level of conviction, and that is, is the private beliefs. These are the things that I hold privately. I believe these things, but I'm not going to really tell you that I believe these things. And these private beliefs are what we think we believe. But then those things are tested when adversity comes, and then we find out what we really believe. In those private moments, I believe a certain thing, and then I get to that certain diagnosis, or I get that certain phone call, or I get that certain job or lack of job. I find these I find myself in these situations, and now I wonder, okay, do I really believe this? That thing that I thought I believed about God and who he is and what he thinks about me and what he thinks about the world, now those things are rocked because of the situations that I find myself in. Those are the private beliefs. But then there's a level of conviction called the core beliefs. 
And the core beliefs is what we, we talked through for the last year, starting in last January, of, of what do we really believe at our core. These are the beliefs that are revealed by our daily actions. Okay, so I believe in gravity. That is a core belief of mine. And for me, I believe very strongly in gravity. I don't know about you, probably more so than others. And so I am not going to walk off the edge of a building because I believe that gravity exists. That's a core belief of mine. I think most of you share that belief, I hope. There are other beliefs that I have that are core of who I am, that, that, that my daily action reflects those beliefs. And so there are things that I publicly believe. There are things that I privately believe. But my actions will tell you if it is a core belief. So I can publicly say or even privately think that I believe in loving my enemy. But do my actions reflect that? I can say publicly and I can even say privately that, that I believe in loving God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. My actions will tell you how much I really believe that. And so these core beliefs, this is, what Jesus, this is what John is addressing when he says, I want you to believe. I'm writing so that you believe, so that your very actions are impacted in your day-to-day -day life because of who God is in your life. This is what he's writing for. And so if you want to test your core beliefs, look at your actions. If you really want to test your beliefs, check your bank account. And that will tell you where your heart is and what you really believe in. What is real to you? What do you really believe about God? What, what do you really believe about what he's called you into? Our bodies will tell us what our core beliefs really are. So John is calling us into a core conviction of belief in Jesus, and our daily actions will naturally reflect those beliefs. John says in chapter 14, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. So he says, if you believe in me, that's going to result in some action. You're going to do the things that Jesus does because he's revealing to us God's heart for us and God's desire for us. John Patton was a missionary and he was working on a translation of the scriptures into the language of, of the country that he was working in. And he was searching and searching for this word for faith. He couldn't find one that really fit the translation. And so he, they, they had a language that did not have a word for believe. And this troubled him, trying to come up with how to translate this to the, the native population. And, and a native entered the room and was exhausted and, and set himself down at the nearest chair and put his feet up on the chair across from him just to rest. And the native remarked how good it was to lean his whole weight into the chair. That after an exhausting day, to, to lean his whole weight into the chair 
was just such a great feeling for him. And Patton noted that that, that word, lean his whole weight, was, was the best fit for this word believe. That when, when he would talk about what it means to believe, he was really talking about leaning your whole weight into something. And so to believe in God is to, to lean our whole weight onto him. It's not just a little bit. It's not just one day a week. It's not just a part of our lives. It's our whole weight is leaning into him, trusting that he will support us in that. And so we're invited to believe in that way. We're invited to, to have our full weight into God. And if we do that, then we will have life. Now, when John uses this word life, he's not talking about eternal life beyond the grave. He's not talking about a biological life that we will continue breathing and the blood will continue to flow through our veins. He's using this word zoe, which is a quality of life, that your life will be, will be complete, that the, the quality of it will be filled with joy and, and vitality and with energy. That's the life that he promises us. This is the life that can be found in believing in Jesus. This is who we lean our whole weight into so that we may have life. So as we set out on this journey over the next 14 weeks or so, as we go through the, the gospel of John, as we get closer and closer to our, our celebration of Easter, Think about your beliefs. What is core? What do you put your full weight into? What do you lean into? We're being invited into a life that is incredible. A life that will be transformative. A life that will be rich. If you will lean into and believe in God. And so the Gospel of John is written for us, written that we may believe, that we may come into a belief, and that we may continue believing in Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And with that belief, we will have life. We will have life in his name. And that is what we invite you into today and over the next several weeks as we dive into the Gospel of John. I want to encourage you this week as a little bit of homework to, to skim through the entire Gospel. 21 chapters, skim through it, and, and, and spend some time just seeing how John is different from the other Gospels that you've read before. Okay? Let's go ahead and be standing together. I want to invite you now, as, as John invites us, I want to invite you to believe in Jesus. And so if that is something that you have not confessed before, and today you want to confess your belief in Jesus uh, through baptism, if you want to lean your full weight into him, we want to invite you to do that this morning with us to confess your belief in Jesus through baptism. For, for many of us, we are facing a season of life where we need to continue believing. 
and we have things that are going in our life that are challenging us, we're struggling through it, and we need to be reminded, continue to believe. And so we want to invite you into a time of prayer. Uh, we'll have shepherds down front. You can get together as, as families. You can get together uh, in your small group as friends. Uh, you can move around, spend this time in prayer, encouraging one another to believe, continue to believe so that we may have life. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this message of John. We thank you for his uh, his, his vision that we would be believers, that our core convictions would be focused on you, that we would lean fully into you. And so God, encourage us this morning as we lean into you, give us life through your son Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen.